0: Welcome to MACMA's Audience Architect. We are crafting the future of audience engagement. Our mission, to dive into the intricacies of the ever-evolving media and publishing landscape through the sharp lens of audience and marketing professionals. Each episode will unravel the meaning and perspective on trends that are shaping the industry. Welcome to episode eight of Audience Architect podcast. I'm your host, Bill Levine. Let's architect the future. Welcome to today's podcast, where we're thrilled to host an exceptional guest, Rhonda Hughes, a seasoned professional from Iron Markets, currently, the publishing artist formerly known as AC Business Media. With over two decades of experience in digital media, event marketing, and audience development, Rhonda stands out as a master in audience segmentation, engagement, and leveraging data insights. Her extensive career includes pivotal roles at Iron Markets, as I mentioned, and Ensemble IQ. Rhonda has excelled in multimedia marketing, audience development, and database enhancement, significantly contributing to iron markets through marketing sales, product development, which we'll be talking about, and improving engagement methods by focusing on behavioral data. Her innovative strategies have opened up new revenue channels by leveraging data across sales, marketing, and editorial areas. Essential for launching new products and enhancing content. Her goal is to drive business growth by improving internal resources, which enhances marketing processes and lead generations for clients. As a leader and visionary, Rhonda has advanced multi platform media with her marketing and data integration skills, covering a wide range of expertise, including marketing, product launches, as financial planning, FCC regulations. Her work at UBM Life Sciences and Advanced Star Communications, where she led database and marketing strategies, underscores her ability to analyze data and audience behavior for product development. On a personal note, I can actually vouch for her excellent work as I work with Rhonda at Advanced Star. I can also say I've rarely met a powerful business pro who also happens to be one of the most fun, pleasant and yes, nice people you've ever met. Maybe it's that Midwestern thing. She's she's from that tucked away burg of Duluth, Minnesota on the banks of Great Lakes Superior. Today, she joins us to delve into the critical role of audience development professionals in product ideation, development, launch, and success. Her insights are sure to be invaluable for anyone looking to understand the intersection of audience engagement and successful product development. Let's give a warm welcome to Rhonda Hughes. Good morning, Rhonda.
1: Good morning, Bill. What an introduction. Oh, my gosh. I hope I can live up to all that, but (laughs) thank you.
0: Well, um... We're recording this, you know, close to the end of February, and um, I guess you're actually having a, a real winter again in Duluth.
1: It might be only one day, but I'll take it. We haven't seen much snow up here, which is really odd, but living here my entire life, I'll take a winter off. It's Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I think I saw that it was going to be 13 degrees there tonight. So, you know, I'm I'm personally waiting for the temperature to have a five in front of it before I start to really enjoy it outside.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. The older I get, the more I'm right with you.
0: <laughs> so let's get rolling. Um you know, I'd like to start with a little bit about the uh, evolution of sort of the role in product ideation for the audience, particularly back in the day when, you know, magazines were king, there was very little digital. Um, Some might say that the role of the audience professional was a circulator, and that was an actual Mm -hmm. term, right? Um, And even some might say almost like an auditor. Um, So how can you describe the role of the audience development professional in, in that change um, where now, you know, being part of an audience development process is is an important role?
1: Yeah, it's super important. You know, I love the fact that First off, in your introduction, thank you for making me sound young. Only two decades. I've been at this for three decades. So I remember when it was print only and the internet was just, you know, a baby and, and being born. So, um, I, it, it's been very exciting for me to see how things have changed being a circulation manager when I first started out to where I am now and watching that evolve. Um, back in the day, it was, you're right. It was BPA audit numbers that drove the circulation and the productization, which was a lot of print or even face to face type events back then. Um, what I like to say now with product development is it really depends on how the company is structured. You know, I have the luxury of working for a very large company. Um, a medium-sized company, and now more of a small company. And every one of those companies takes product development um, a little or or looks at it a little differently. So at the large company, you mentioned Advanced Star, you know, slash UBM Life Science, they had a guy. They had a guy. That's all he did was digital productization. Um, And that works because he was able to concentrate on that. But what was kind of clunky about having a guy do it, was usually he would come up with a really good idea, put it up the flagpole to the VP of UBM Life Science, he would get all energized about it, and then we'd try to reverse engineer it in audience and marketing. Okay, well, this is a great idea. Now, how is this really going to work? What are the expectations? Here's what our database says, um, and we you never want to overpromise expectations, right? So with that, it kind of worked, but it was clunky. My favorite um, way to go about it was really at Ensemble IQ. Uh, I had the luxury and the honor of working with Joel Hughes. He was the chief technical officer, and we had just a dynamic team. So I actually had product development, audience development, and marketing reporting to me. That was the true dream team. And then we reported up into Joel. So we would get into a room and oh my gosh, the brainstorming and the products that would come out of there. And then we had every part of that product represented in that group. And then we would pitch it right to the C-suite, rest of the C-suite and to the brand leads or publishers. By then we had everything flushed out. We knew what audience could handle. We knew how we were going to market it. And we had um, Joel, that would be like, yeah, technology or tech, technical wise, we can actually develop this. So it was great. The small company I work for now, we get things done fast. There's 52 of us, right? So we don't have the luxury of having a guy and we don't have the luxury of having a full team. So we do it more task force So we have our CRO and our CEO coming up with ideas all the time. And then they're pulling me in. And of course, I have marketing and I have audience development. So I am able to get um, the creative side with the marketing, but I'm also able to get more of the science and data uh, around it with audience development. So together, we're able to ideate um, products and then bring them to our brand leads and test them out. A lot of testing going on. So, to answer your question, it depends. You're going to be hearing me say that a lot. It really depends on the company structure, size of company, all that good stuff. But um, audience dev should always have a seat, no matter what.
0: Well, let's let's build on that. Actually, well, a question I had, and maybe I'm preaching to the converted, given. MacMan, our audience and the people <laughs> that will be listening to this. But um, why does uh, the audience professional have such a, an important role? Like, how do they get a seat at the table in this?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, they know how the audience ticks, they build it, right? So if you're going to try to come up with a new product, you literally have to kind of understand the nuances of your audience. How are they going to react to it? Every single audience in every market can be different. They have high expectations of us, right? They're not gonna just click and give you their information. They, they wanna know they have something in exchange. So getting that data is important. We, we always wanna treat that with white gloves and kid gloves and be careful. So we know our audience, we know the metrics, we eat, breathe, live those metrics every single day. So if audience doesn't have a seat at that table, then everyone else is working blindly. Again, you can reverse engineer it, but that is very stressful. <laughs> if they've already, they, whoever came up with this product, love it. They're training the sales reps on it. It's ready to go. And then you get audience involved. There's going to be some problems for sure. And you don't like surprises, right? When you get out in the market with a new product.
0: So. Absolutely not. And that that actually is a really good segue to, um, you know, Often, you know, we jump to conclusions and we think and feel that a new product is going to work in the market. And sometimes it's in search of a solution that really doesn't have a problem (laughs) Mm -hmm. or other predispositions like that. So um, historically, the audience development professional is, you know, growing the audience, developing the audience, tracking behavior all through multiple channels these days. Um, are they also involved in, and should they be involved in vetting this with both the, the, the actual potential buyers as well as the sales teams?
1: Yeah. You know what? I like to think of us and against it, it depends on the company and how it's structured, but when it works well, It's literally having that audience development professional on board connecting the dots because you have what the sales reps want to sell and think they can sell. Then you have the actual client needs, what they really need. And then you have what audience development can basically deliver, what your first party database can deliver. And unless all three of those are connected and it makes sense, typically it can work but again, it's a lot of stress. It's You're going to let down some clients. There's going to be make goods. You're going to be actually developing the product as you go t- to get to a point where it really works. And listen, we've all done that, but it's not fun. I'd rather have it tested, tried, true solution before you get out there into the market with it. It takes a long time to train your sales reps on selling this stuff, especially if it's a complicated digital product or package so once you get them trained up you want to be pretty confident that it's going to work and that we're going to deliver as audience development professionals because we take our database very personally so when something doesn't deliver we we feel bad and we take it personally and we we want to make it work
0: Um, and we can get into some examples but I want to be a little forensic about sort of the process Um, and is it too simple to say that a lot of the new products that audience and the rest of the, the the publishing and media team come up with these days are based on some form of behavioral data or targeting or is that not really the case
1: oh, it is the case but it's getting more complicated and it might be complicated in a good way what i like to say is any type of engagement should be respected Because I consume my information and news differently all the time. I use different platforms. I use my phone. I use my laptop. I still use print. I like to read. Um, I use social media and I mix it up depending where I'm at, what I need. So all of our audience is the same way. So Bill, if you For a month, we see that you are heavily going to our website. That's great. That's this month. You might be vacationing somewhere, so you're just online, and you're reading your content on our website. Um, we have the luxury of having all those different devices and ways of consuming uh, information. So to answer your question, yes, we have to look at all the different types of engagement. It does matter. It has to be respected um, and it's, it, it's more complicated. It is more complicated. And having a, if you have a, a larger audience development team um, it's kind of fun because you can go into each market and you can look at your top 100 audience members based on engagement and lead scoring, which we can get into in a little bit um, and see exactly what they're doing and how they're reacting. Uh, but it's really tough if you have a skeletal team, right? You need to be down and dirty about, okay, well, you know, what's what's their open rate? What's their click-through rate on email? Well, there's more to life than email. And I think a lot of people put their eggs in that basket. So I think that was a long way of saying, yes, <laughs> we have to look at it all and it's all important. Not one type of metric outweighs the other, or it shouldn't.
0: Yeah. And you you um you were making a distinction. Um, which I fully understand between being a large company with a big audience development team, lots of resources, et cetera, and a skeletal staff for those who have who are in smaller teams, and after all isn't that the beauty of b two b like you know you could be very <laughs> successful in one niche and make a whole lot of money from it um are do i mean do they do they need to think about you hear a lot of talk today about yeah you know data scientists, we need to bring them on the team. Who can afford? I mean, like that's a quarter million dollar person, right? Yeah. Do, if you're talking to the smaller companies, like, do they actually need that? Or can we, can they deploy the, the skill sets we have to be successful in coming up with some of these, these ideas?
1: I'll tell you the secret is having a powerful CDP. If you have a powerful CDP and you have at least one expert in running that CDP, you don't need the data scientist. Now, it would be great. But again, your CDP should be doing a lot of that work for you. You should be able to get in there and pull what you need fairly easily. Um, back in the day, Bill, oh my gosh, a, a data scientist would have been wonderful because everything was so split apart that you really needed someone to sit there and paste it all together and come up with the stats. but. Honestly, for the smaller verticals, market verticals, depending on the size of your universe and your audience, um, I don't feel you need a data science for some of those smaller markets, scientists for a smaller market, but you get into the bigger ones, maybe uh, healthcare, pharmaceutical, maybe it's not a bad idea if you can afford it.
0: So, Rhonda, um, I think... It's a good idea, maybe, to jump into um, an example. Can you share an example where audience insights directly influenced product development?
1: Yes, I can. I can give two examples. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about. You'll hear me talking talking about it maybe in other questions, but we call them high value assets. So one product that audience development came up with and it's it's many products right but we call them high value assets we needed something other than newsletters to selfishly grow and engage our audience they can be sponsors and sponsored and should be sponsored but we did it selfishly because we we were noticing some audience buckets that were Um, very niched and hard to get engagement. You know, back in the day, you could throw a list of 10,000 people within that industry into your CDP and it was okay. You can't do that anymore. So you need something to hook them into wanting to come to your brand via a website or newsletter, something. Um, So what we thought of was, hey, listen, instead of, you know, 20 pages of white papers and stats and reports, Let's take that idea, but let's make an infographic. Let's make a two-page case study. Let's get something that we can gate and push out and get these people hooked and come back to us. That was audience development coming up with that. And it can be and should be uh, another revenue stream as well. Um, What you might ask, next is it's a chicken and the egg question. Well, who, who keeps that going? Is it content? Is it audience? How does that work? So we've been doing this for almost two years now. And what we try to do is get a, a piece quarterly, developed quarterly for each brand. We have 10 brands at Iron Markets. Um, and it's a heavy lift for content. I will say that Um, But it is a big need. So sometimes content will say, hey, I have this great idea. I can make a high value asset out of this. Audience will say, great. It'll go to this audience. Marketing will get involved and we will push it out there. And it's a win-win for everybody. But there are times when audience says, hey, listen, we're really slacking in this one segment. We need help. We need engagement metrics. We need more people. We need a piece. (laughs) Give us something, So um, I guess that answers your question. So that is literally an internal piece we can use for to um, kind of bolster and help our database. But it's also a piece that should bring in money as well.
0: Well, I think that everything these days really has to have monetization (laughs) at the end of it as much as we know that there is an indirect benefit by having some of this great content, which could lead to it because each click is data each data builds up information on a segment, et cetera, as you were saying. Um, so um, let's let's um, get into this one a little bit. Um, I love this idea of high-value assets. I'm going to focus first on editorial because you brought them up. You, you actually said, hey, like some of them have really great ideas for it. So um, how have you managed to engage the editorial team uh, to go sort of beyond what we all know historically is their mandate to get great pure editorial content out to the market and maybe help with more sponsored stuff when they have a chance, but you know not their not their primary goal
1: oh my gosh, it's hard, Bill. It is not easy, especially for smaller companies. you know they've got to write for the print they've got to get the website articles up they're writing for so many newsletters. And they are being reeled in to help write for client pieces, marketing services. Um, One thing I will note with marketing services is we do have a great team, a strategic marketing services where we are now building that team so they can help with more of the client type content, custom content, which is very helpful. Um, You mean actually
0: helping to produce the content itself? Yes.
1: Yep. So strategic, um, it's called extend. It's the team at iron markets and they're phenomenal from video to custom content. Um, I love their motto. It's like you have an idea client, we can do it. (laughs) We'll just do it. We'll figure it out. We'll do it for you. You have a need. We'll figure it out. Um, so they're they're fabulous. And I think that's where media is going right now. It's like don't try to pigeonhole what a client needs, and here's our products. You also need a special team that can make something work, especially for um all sorts of clients, not just your your big guys. So um I even forgot your question because I keep going off on tangents.
0: No, I was Um, asking more about the editorial. Yeah.
1: Editorial team on board with this. Uh it's hard. And we had to come up with a calendar and a schedule and listen, a lot of the, the content developers, the editors um, they're very proud of their high value assets once they're done, but getting them to concentrate on getting those done quarterly is, is it can be difficult. They're very busy. Um, Audience development and marketing both report to me. And, I have uh, a gal on my marketing team, and she's a bulldog. She'll be like, hey, content, we're behind on our high value asset for this market. Let's get it going because audience uh, falls off that doesn't stop. You have a live database and that's what I keeps me up at night is I have this live database. I have almost 3 million people that have some type of profile connected to them. They're going to get tired and they're going to churn and they're going to fall off. We have to keep feeding the beast. So, I I love having that I you know, a marketing person that can help nudge content a little bit and we help them along and we we try to give them ideas. So, it works.
0: There's a there's a lot of, uh, and I think needed, discussion today around um, the intersection of audience and editorial and getting them closer. So before I leave that entirely, um, I was watching a presentation at actually um, MacMas Holiday Extravaganza from somebody from Dot Dash Meredith, and she was talking about how um, they've really managed to... Um, lift the editorial team 's mandate up to the place where they 're actually thinking that every piece of content they do has a desired action outside just simply having it consumed, yeah. you know whether it 's subscribed yeah. to a newsletter, um, et cetera, et cetera. Is that happening? Is that starting to happen on your team as you are seeing it because that's a that 's a trans a very big transformation.
1: It is a very big transformation. We're using content um, and partnering with, um, I, I think you've probably heard CredSpark and not to give them a free plug here, but they are amazing. And they're such a nice inner interactive tool. So taking that content on your website and placing interactive polls, quizzes, games, I'm telling you, if you have the team that can really concentrate on doing that, it's super helpful. And content can get involved there as well in helping you with the placement. And it all works and marries together for engagement. Um, what we're doing at Iron Markets this year, our focus—and it's funny you bring this up—and um, our focus for 2024 is first-party data, but it's a collaborative, right? So I'm not just sitting in a room with my audience, my one, by the way, audience development manager across 10 brands, uh, and coming wow. up with, <laughs> yeah, um, coming up with new goals. We literally we come up with what we think we can do. We get the brand leads involved to agree on these segments and what we should focus and concentrate on. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. Actually, I have a meeting today about it with the brand leads and my audience development manager. We come to a point where we agree on the important buckets and segments and metrics. And then once we agree, we get content involved saying, here's what we want to do. How are you going to help us get there? Now, sitting in our first meeting, Bill, it was we were all like, well, we should have content in this meeting. Like, I can't do this without the hook, without the content. And I love what our CEO said. He's like, listen, let's, let's tell content what we feel is really important for the business and then agree on it because if audience doesn't agree with the brand leads, that is where that is where a lot of push and tugging and pulling comes from. You promise leads that I can't deliver, that's a problem. Right. So agreeing right out of the right out of the gate on goals. And it might not be like the good old days where you take out a BPA statement and go, okay, three A, I want to increase this title. And if three B I want, you know, ninety percent in the one year. And you know, that was The good old days. Now there's too many metrics to look at. Too many title buckets. Too many industries crammed into an industry. You've got the buyer collective. It's not one person making a decision. It's a group of people. Who are they? Are they engaging? Do you have everyone on the database? So you have to look at it more granular. Agree on the goals because you only have a limited budget. It's budget and bandwidth, right? You can't be a winner in all the segments. And then get content involved saying, here's what we've come up with. How can you help us get us all on the same page working together? That has been my dream for 30 years to get all three of those departments working very closely together. And I feel nowadays you just have to or it's not going to work, right? So that's our goal.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think this is going to be really important for um, our audience to hear as everybody now is sort of struggling through that transformation. Um, but now um, just when you thought I was not going to get back to monetization on this product, you <laughs> talked about how um, some of these high value assets um, can be sort of productized and sold. So can you tell me how, how that came about for this and, and how it's doing?
1: I would have to say right now that's in the infant stages because selfishly, and I, I will be proud to say it. I wanted these high value assets to grow my database and engage my database because we had high goals. So now we're in the phase now in 2024 where it's literally, we have these built, we have a library of high value assets or premium assets on our website. There's a tab on all of our market websites that have this library built up. It would be leaving money on the table, in my opinion, if they don't start getting sponsored. So that's yet to come. But in my previous life at Ensemble IQ and even at Advanced Star, that was common practice.
0: So let's let's talk about how that would come about. So this is this is what I do know from personal experiences. Now you've got a product and now there's the sales team. (laughs) They're selling a lot of stuff these days. I mean, you you. We keep referencing, you know, the good old days, and um, in in a in a lot of ways, that simplicity was a little more complex <laughs> than meets the eye. But now it's really kind of crazy because not only do all of us have these multiple products across channels, but um, we're just a smaller percentage of any of the advertising clients' total marketing budget because they're doing all these things through their HubSpot and their CRM. And so it becomes, um, you know, even a more difficult value proposition to break through that and generate meaningful business and value. Um, so where you've been before, you know, how has that worked where it's now? We've got, we've got a product vetted. Um, it, it, there's definitely a need. Um, how do you move this now through commercialization?
1: What's really important is to not overwhelm your sales team. So where I came from, the first thing we did, Bill, was look at the Chinese menu of products. And we streamlined everything, not just in one vertical. We took a vertical that was working well, streamlined it to the products where we felt, A, the sales reps can understand, right? There's a need for them, and it's going to work took that as a model, and then we duplicated across all the verticals. Now, every vertical has its own little nuances, but for the most part, we we had a common, common product package, packages across all of the verticals, came up with the pitch decks, and then we could sit down and literally train the reps on what these products were all about. So not to confuse them, when I stepped in, to that particular, uh, position. Um, it was ensemble IQ. It was literally every market had their own products. They were called different things. There were some similar, but it was very confusing, very confusing to operations, right? They sell it. And then you have your operations your digital ops team going, well, what the hell is this? And it, it makes it very difficult to execute on. So, To answer your question, if you do have a new product, you have to look at your portfolio. You have to see where does that fit in? Is it gonna replace something? Is it gonna be a part of an overall content syndication type package? Where does it fit? Because you can't keep pasting on new products just because you think like an audience development and content that this is a really cool piece, it should work and it should be sponsored. Um, It's got to make sense to the sales reps and, you know, to your client. Um, And a lot of times, again, reverse engineering, if a sales rep is talking to a client and they have a real need within their company, we can come up with a really cool piece that maybe we write and they can sponsor, but we can also have it as a high value asset to grow our database as well. I mean, we can work together on that.
0: So, We'll be right back. Step into the heart of the media evolution at MACMA's Industry Day, taking place on April 4th at Hearst Tower, New York City. The Media Audience and Content Marketing Association, MACMA, is bringing together the brightest minds in the media world, offering an exclusive glimpse into the future with our theme Unlocking ACE, ACE, Innovative Strategies in Acquisition, Content, and Engagement. Imagine a day filled with insights from industry leaders like Jacob Donnelly, a media operator, on the triple threat industry trends. Anne-Marie Dooling of Gannett USA's perspective and experimentation in the news industry, or Casey Cornelius' strategy on data-driven engagement. Engage in a live audience architect podcast with Joetta Gobel of Dot Dash Meredith, and cap off the days with cocktails and conversations that could shape your next big idea. This is more than an event. It's a catalyst for growth and innovation in your career. Make sure you're in the room where it happens. Dive into the future of media by registering at www.the-macma.org. Join us at Magma Industry Day and unlock the secrets to mastering audience and monetization in the digital age. Your next big opportunity starts here. Back to our show. So uh, let's, let's get a little bit... Um, granular on the kinds of products. You mentioned Ensemble IQ, and I I know that um, a lot of the offerings being discussed these days, um, as well as being built on more targeted demographics, you know, now incorporate behavior, um, recency, which is awesome, um, channel preferences and things like that. Um, so are, are those the kinds of products and services and solutions that you see um, moving forward in the future? Well, obviously, again, audiences role would seem to be very essential for those, but or are there different kinds of opportunities out there, you think?
1: Again, like I started out, every type of engagement should be respected. And I don't I I think for something to really work, let's call it a custom content piece. Who are we to say, you know what? It's a custom content piece is a great piece. We're just going to throw it up on the website. You're missing out on a lot of engagement and eyeballs in other areas. If you don't push that out via social media, if you don't email that out to your very engaged email clickers, if it's not a piece, even in your print publication, that's still running and it's still keeping the lights on and people love, you're missing the whole idea of trying to reach the whole universe. So I I think it's all important depending on what that product is I mean you have digital only type products where it's only gonna it's only gonna work if it's down and dirty lead gen versus a thought leadership piece that needs to go across everything or you know brand awareness uh maybe then we talk just lead gen but it really depends on the outcome right is it just brand awareness thought leadership down and dirty lead gen what what's the outcome what are we expecting but in my experience even with all of that you've got to go, Cross channel and I I think it's I think it's all important and that's why it's so complicated now
0: absolutely so you know because you brought up lead scoring before let's yeah. go down to down and dirty lead gen or just lead gen um, first firstly are all leads created equal Rhonda
1: <laughs> they shouldn't be and the answer is right now most people are creating them equally and it kills me. talk about leaving money <laughs> on the table. This is my passion. You hit, you hit, you hit it. I, yes, they're all created equal equally right now. Look at me, I'm stuttering, I'm getting so mad about it. So um, I am in the middle of a big project with Omida and I love it. It's lead scoring. So it's going across your entire database and you're literally scoring the audience based on how engaged they are. And you can use all sorts of metrics cross brands if they're involved with you know more than one type of brand product type of engagement all sorts of metrics you can build it you build your own point system um, for me I can use that audience development I can say you know I have my super users here I have my core audience and then I have my my laggers my ones that are here they're not dead they click now and then they might come to the website I know who they are they're just not very engaged. You know, if my audience development team, one person, one and a half, actually, to be fair, um, can concentrate on them and get them more engaged and move them into the core audience. And then from there up into my super users, that's great for me. But then flip it to sales. If you're selling a lead gen product, and we've got 200 leads coming through the pipe, if half of them are my super engaged users, why are we charging the same amount of money to hand over those leads than maybe the laggers who are just brand new. It kills me. So that is kind of my little passionate project on the back end that I'm, I'm working on. Um, I would love to see more of a scaled type stair-step pricing for all lead gen products.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, you triggered I triggered myself on that one in addition to triggering you oh we
1: got to calm down step of my water, not coffee i guess
0: you know i, I 'm I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, industry day in New York Macmas industry day uh, to see how many more people are going through this and need therapy from this But um, <laughs> cl- clearly I think the, the 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 battlefront is is just getting the sales team to um, Ask the right questions yeah. because you know that could surface a little bit more based on their need. Like, are they looking more for sort of top of the funnel prospects that uh, they can start to influence and bring down the funnel, or are they like really mm-hmm. they've got enough awareness that they think that they can just like let's just nail let's nail those people we can get our sales team to close on? Um, but um, you know, I I. I think we're we're inevitably moving to more of a stepped or tiered pricing. Um, the lead scoring itself is interesting because I, I often find that the individual clients who have their own CRMs have their own definitions mm-hmm. and their own lead generation qualifications. Mm-hmm. So we've got our lead score for our audience. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes find a challenge because that doesn't synchronize with who the individual client might be trying to. Uh, know,
1: I, I love that question and I call it full transparency. So if you have a client that says this, these are my, this is the persona I'm looking for. You know, I want only CEOs at $5 billion companies in this industry. Great give me that persona. Let me look in my first party database. Let me see with with that type of person what their scores are. What am I pulling out of the database for that? And to be honest, sometimes with those higher C-suite type titles, the score is going to be lower. They're not as engaged. They're very finicky. They're not going to open every email, right? So um, what I would say to that is that is why we have to be more careful with those people. We don't want to burn them out and just, if they happen to engage with a lead gen product, then just hand them over at the same price as maybe, you know, a director or manager level person who's engaging with everything. That title means something. And that persona is a hot persona and hard to find and hard to get. I have it. I should be charging more for it so, you know, they might not be your top engagers, but they're hard to find and they're engaging.
0: Well, actually, this leads me to, um, uh, I think, like one of the core questions that we're facing. And that is, um, well, you just said it like this, you know, this certain C-level group may not be as engaged, but you've you've qualified them. You have a, enough data on them and maybe enough recency on them mm-hmm. that there is a clear high-level purchasing intention and decision-making capability. Okay, great. So these are going to be the super high CPM, the super high CPL, or however your pricing model is. Mm-hmm. Your salespeople go out, you juice them up, and... Let them know that this is the gold. This is the gold concept stuff. And then the then this then the, the client. And not all clients are are equal. Also, but the client might just say, "Hey, I hear you, but that's just too expensive for our blood. That's too rich for our blood." Do you have clients caught up to what the capabilities of what we can do, us publishers and media can do with first first party data, or are they perennially just budget challenged and we're going to top out at some point with what we're dealing Uh, with
1: that that is the million dollar question and i think it's a question that we as audience development professionals especially because we know how expensive it is to get these people into our database uh recent new data on them i mean we still use telemarketing a lot of people do because we have something to offer and we get the the quick demographics that way for reasonable price but still very expensive so again it's expensive to build a first-party database it's time consuming so connecting that and having our clients understand what we have is truly gold not only do we spend the time and resources building this but we have a relationship with them they love us they love our content they love our brand we're buddies I'll share my buddy with you, but it's not going to be cheap. Um, do they understand that? Some companies, some and agencies are tough. So it's a whole nother conversation. Some of our relationships with our advertisers, they do get it. And they look at us for more of that connection of the relationship versus just giving them the leads based on a product. They really love the fact that we could co-brand because our name means something, and they can start building a true relationship with these people, which is important. Agencies sometimes don't give a flying rat's, you know what? And those are tough to break into. They really don't understand what goes into a B two B first party database and in, in the relationship. I mean, they're
0: mechanical, you know, media buyers, right? Yeah. Yep, they are. Sorry if I've offended any in the audience.
1: No. <laughs> and not all of them, I hate making blanket no. statements, but that, as far as my 30 years of experience, those are kind of hard nuts to crack for sure. <laughs> mm.
0: So, um, you know, just like we talked about editorial, um, let's spend a moment and talk about your experience, you know, here at Iron Market or the last few years in some of your other gigs. Um, the salesperson, you know, actually, we um, to the to let the audience know have been talking about prior to when we started recording today about knowledge market and the the CDP that they introduced, very user friendly, very efficient, um, and that we were both relaying how bummed that we were <laughs> that they're no longer around. But I always remember an infographic that they had, mm-hmm. and it was a salesperson that was like split into two. And like, I think the left side was sort of like the old world product focus the
1: briefcase. Yeah,
0: exactly. The briefcase, like, like go, it's like a sneaking out of a conference and going into a phone booth to make calls to their clients. <laughs> okay. We'll stop there. Um, on the right side though, was, you know, the, 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 the necessary skills of the, the new era digital media salesperson and, you know, marketing and data talk was what it was heading to. So how far along do you think, you know, the the sales community and publishing has come in your experience in that?
1: Very far. I mean, I thought at one time it was, you know, stuck in the mud. Like we can't get these sales reps to understand the digital complexities of these packages. There's no way. Well, eventually, you know, five years seems like a long time in the industry. But within five years, you started to see the churn, good or bad. I mean, we saw sales reps come and go. Some of the more traditional sales reps, it just wasn't for them anymore. And God bless them. You know, they knew when I'm getting out because this is just too complicated. This is I'm not cut from this. Cloth, then we get the new ones in who truly can understand the digital process and what matters um, as far as metrics. Um, Finding those people, though, Bill, I have to tell you, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be a sales rep anyway. You have to. Be cut from that cloth. That's a certain type of person. But then also finding that person who can understand um, technology the way they really should in media is hard. I'm not saying it. You know, oh, it's easy. We got our we we got our team of sales reps. They're all on top of it. They understand all these packages. It is tough. It is tough to find the right people. But when you do, that makes a world of difference. Um, I. I'm from the world where we used to actually, as audience development and data database management people, um, would literally sit on the sales calls with the sales reps, observe, at, you know, just in case they ask a very technical question with some of these digital products. We were there. We would we, we would kind of be a team, digital team on a sales call,
0: like a um, sales engineer, almost, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we did that a lot. Not only at Ensemble IQ, but we started doing that at UBM Life Science as well, um, where I, I would literally just sit on the sales calls just in case you know a, a technical or an email question popped up. Um, it it just looked like we had the A team on board, and we ha- you know we worked together to get it sold.
0: Yeah, um, so the client says in the call. How many left-handed research okay. scientists do we have in Kazakhstan? And then I guess you talk, huh?
1: <laughs> then we talk, and it would be as easy as click, click, click into a CDP and say, "Actually, we have 16, You know, <laughs> it'd be super easy but to They're buy. the right
0: sixteen, so you should go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're very expensive; they're about three hundred dollars a piece. But you, we can uh, work them for you.
0: So now, now um, a product's out and launched. And by the way, you mentioned testing. So, mm-hmm. do you is your testing around a minimal viable product? Is your testing around one vertical, one client? Like, how what is what has been your philosophy on you know moving it from skunk works into pilot mode?
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, this is this isn't rocket science. I think everyone does it this way. But if you have a viable product, it's brand new. You're gonna you're gonna go out there and you're gonna get some beta testers, right? Either for free, your top clients, or someone you owe a make good to. Um, you're going to take those advertisers and you're gonna have them test it out for you, either very reduced pricing, free, or some type of make good. Um, you're silly not to because, again, you don't want to be in a position where we're in a lot, by the way, it hasn't gone away, where you do launch a product and then you learn six months a year down the road what the problems really are with it, right? And then you try to, oh, well, this is such and such 2.0. <laughs> That's how you get by with it. But it's basically because it wasn't really vetted out right from the get-go.
0: Right. Um, that That is the challenge. Um, because you know, uh, upper management always wants to see that revenue coming in this quarter, <laughs> not yes. like not yep. like next year. Uh, maybe not even when the when the media kit is updated or <laughs> sometime <laughs> That's in the hundred
1: percent f- right. And sometimes you're you're spending money to get these new platforms up or these new products up, so you you have an expense side to it right out of the gate. So you need to see that revenue hit.
0: Absolutely. So now the product's out, let's say you're in version 3.0. <laughs> um, so let's talk about measuring success. Um, how can you quantify the impact of audience development's involvement in product creation? And, and what are the specific metrics besides purely revenue that, that you track?
1: I, I, I love that question. It's not always done this way but the right way to do this is to have audience development have not only a seat at the table at the beginning but air the real metrics. Metrics don't lie, counts don't lie, expectations from those counts don't lie. If audience development is at the table at the table right at the very beginning, that is I don't want to say that's where it should end cuz we're always a part of it. But if they're there at the beginning, the product's built around that and those expectations. Then fast forward, the sales rep selling it, digital ad ops, they're executing it. That's really where the metrics lie, whether or not it's going to bring in the revenue is the execution and the selling of it. Now, if it's not done that way and it's done in the reverse where you have the product made right? Audience development kind of hears some scuttlebutt about it in the office, but we have no idea what's going on. It's it's going on behind closed doors. Suddenly it hits the media kit. People are selling it. And now we have sales or digital ad ops coming to us saying this is underperforming. What's going on? Well, that to me is very disappointing because our database hasn't changed. We have this information from the beginning. Had have, have we been consulted, we probably could have told you right out of the gate how this is going to perform. So I don't want to get into a position where audience development is being kind of... I guess not judged, but metrics against them on a new product if they were not part of it from the very beginning. So I I look at that question and I say, honestly, if it's done right, it's truly sales and digital ad ops that really have to make sure this thing is successful. And then if not, yeah, we'll pivot. And then we get marketing and audience involved and we pitch something like a 4.0 and we know what the true audience is. Maybe we go outside. Maybe we get a whole different audience and start building it. We can do that. But maybe that should be discussed prior to launch.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, if you do go after a new segment, you have to set expectations. It doesn't happen <laughs> in two weeks or even it's two months. Not or maybe a light years. switch. <laughs>
1: that is a year long, especially if it's opt-in. And nowadays, you know, if you're trying to get a new audience via email, it's, you know, it's very difficult to cold email anyone and no one likes it. And you don't want to get blacklisted or even gray listed. So yeah, it, it takes time.
0: So then for our listeners out there, here's what we propose, Rhonda, that getting audience development in from the beginning is critical, yes. but audience development is going to start asking for a piece of the action in their total compensation because now we're helping Even more directly, the success of the company. How do you feel about that? Let's do it, huh?
1: Hey, let's do it. (laughs) Let's talk about bonuses. Um, I don't know. See, I think there are certain people for every job, right? So I always had a little bit of a... I'm weird. We all know that. But I always had kind of half of a sales hat, half of an audience hat. I love the sales part of it, but I never want to be a sales rep. Never. It is way too stressful. I would like to help you sell. I could sit on a call. I could go on a call with you. I could walk the trade show floor all day long and talk audience and stats. But do I, when the day is done, want to be responsible uh, for bringing in that revenue 100%? The answer is no. And I think a lot of audience development people, they really get excited about just being a part of it. You know, bonuses, maybe, yes, that would be great. But honestly, they are geeks like me and they just want to be, um, they want to be able to talk intelligently about their their audience. Again, they take it very personally. You get them involved at the very beginning and it works. That in itself is a huge win for them. My database works. It's great. <laughs> That's what they're there for. So I don't know. I the, the audience development managers and directors I work with, if a product works, that I don't want to say that is good enough, but that really is a true testament to their data.
0: Absolutely. So El El Pregunto Ultima, the last question, um, really asks you to look forward and how do you see the role of audience development evolving in the context of some of these new sponsorship um, and advertising solutions as we move forward in the brave new world of AI and all the other stuff? Look, we may have, we may all be looking through visors at augmented reality. As Apple's ProVision is, whatever you want to say about it, it's it's a harbinger of things to come.
1: It is. Not only that, you know, third uh, party cookies going away, emailing becoming near. I don't want to say impossible, but it is very, very difficult. Um, What I do see happening across all of B two B is having more of a community based type product you know it's hard to get it's hard to get data my ceo who actually was just trying to call me <laughs> um he always says either your audience is either going to pay with money or pay with data and i love that so being b2b we typically go more towards the data aspect of it. So I see more gating. I see, you know, we gave away the farm many years ago with having our websites ungated, the free content that the poor editors work so hard to put up there. We're not getting the data for. Um, So either locking down the websites um, or at least more portions of the websites and then having your audience development managers really starting to use the the pull versus the push type methods to get their community together. Cause it's becoming very, very difficult.
0: Well, um, that's a lot to look forward to. I mean, as, as daunting as it seems on the one hand, it really is exciting on the other hand to meet these challenges. And, um, you know, I am thrilled to have had this opportunity to, connect with you on this little one-on-one conversation that now we can share out across, look, you know, B2B, B2C, and really all the different media channels um, and I'd even say up to streaming and Netflix and C- C- TV, uh, TV and things like that. There's the the the, yeah. the the fundamentals and the foundations are the same. So before we leave, um, Rhonda, we like to explore the different dimensions of our guests and you having taken a sneak peek at <laughs> This, <laughs> I think you know what I'm going to say. I, I, I actually was going to wear a New York Yankees t shirt <gasps> just because sure? I know that this. Some, is there still a crush on former Yankee manager Joe Girardi? Is that still oh a God, thing? My
1: God, true crushes never go away. Of course there is. I saw I saw his name when you wrote it. I'm like, oh Joe Girardi. You know, I would go to those games not to see Derek Jeter, not to see A Rod. Who cares? I would just sit there and I just stare over at Joe Girardi. I'm like, he is so cool. Love the guy, and he's a good person. I just. He has no idea who I am but I do have one picture and I swear he's looking at me and pointing at me. I'm sure it was me.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> So out, out, outside this um this 30-year crush, um what else do you what else do you fancy in your personal time hobbies?
1: I love to travel. Uh my husband and I, we like to go to Italy. We've been there several times, but not just Italy. We love all different countries in europe we try to go about every two three years on a big trip like that and then in between we love the black hills we love to go camping um living you know i'm in the north woods if i didn't like the outdoors that'd be kind of crazy right so uh yeah that's it uh taking care of family and friends and you know camping and traveling i guess are the biggies
0: Well, amen to that. Um, Thank you again for your time, Rhonda, and for your perspectives on this. Um, Really look forward to having a chance to see you in person at one of the MACMA events as we move forward.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. This is a lot of fun.
0: Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the Media Audience and Content Marketers Association. Supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-macma.org. Thanks again to MACMA for supporting the Audience Architect podcast. A shout out to my excellent producer and editor, Camilo Duque, available to work with you on your music podcast or movie soundtrack. Write me with your feedback on the show and topic ideas for future episodes. The good, the bad, and the ugly to Bill Levine at BML0217 at gmail.com.